text as we uh, look at Hebrews chapter 8 today. Just a quick, real quick overview. Remember, the supremacy of Christ is the theme of the whole letter. It's written from Hebrew people to Hebrew people, from Jewish people to Jewish people who were living in and around the Rome area. Um, And throughout the letter, the writer has been trying to convince people not to go back to the old sacrificial system, the old system of worship, the old system put in place because people had left that to come to Jesus and they were wanting to go back. Both people who were all in believers were wanting to go back some because they were feeling pressured to do that. But there was a second group of people that were not all in. They were never all in the Jesus boat. They simply left Judaism and he's saying to them, be all in with Jesus. You know, don't put your hope in anything but Him. Not the system of sacrifice, not your works. Put it in Jesus. And in chapter 4, he brings out the point that Jesus is a great high priest. And then from chapter 4.14, really, to where we are today and even beyond, he just keeps reiterating this point. Jesus is a great high priest. We have a better high priest. We have a better system of worship. We got a better covenant. And that is the resounding theme. And really the main theme of this is that Jesus is supreme. And, and for the Jewish person, the high priest was the pinnacle of their worship system because that person is the one that took the sacrifice in that gave them forgiveness or covering with God for their sin, which was very important to them. And in chapter 7, he lays out who Melchizedek is, and Melchizedek was a key figure in their understanding of Messiah and what Messiah would be like. Messiah means anointed one, and and, uh, Melchizedek, was there was a prophecy about the Messiah that would be in the order of Melchizedek. He would be a priest like Melchizedek, and a king like Melchizedek from Psalm 110. And we saw that the last couple of weeks as we looked at, and this Melchizedekian order of priesthood for the Messiah, and he's saying Jesus fulfilled that, gave us 24-7 access to God, took us away from a limited access perspective to 24-7 access because Jesus was the perfect high priest. And last week we looked at Jesus and the fact that His priesthood was permanent because of an oath and He cited Psalm 110. It was perfect because He was permanent and lived forever and never died and never had to relinquish His priesthood. He was able to stand in the gap and give a perfect, uh, able sacrifice for us. And He was pure and holy unlike any other priest that ever lived. And this whole thing was planned by God from the beginning. It was not that, okay, it changed because this was bad. It was just it changed because this was meant to point forward to the secondary system that would come on the scene, the new covenant. So in chapter 8 of Hebrews, today we're going to look at verses 1-7. through And remember, just real quickly, that there were three warnings given. In chapter 2, a warning to listen and not not drift away. Don't drift away from the message. And we talked about drifting. And how if you're open to the message, but then you start to drift away from it, and 
You go, no, I really don't want to hear it. You can become hardened. And then the second warning in chapter 3, he said, don't harden your heart. Don't be like the children of Israel and have a hard heart. Listen, have a tender heart to what God says. And then in chapter 5 through 6, 12, he says, don't waver. So another warning, don't waver, be all in. And so now he's in chapter 8 and he's going back and I know it feels like we're just almost restating the same thing that we've been stating, but he's really addressing different issues. And so now, in this chapter, in chapter 8, what he's saying is, I want you to think for a second. Let's say um, that, um, that Gil was, was our leader. He was a priest for us. And every week, SWAT Bible study here, we, this is how we got close to God. Started a long time ago. And everybody, if they wanted to be close to God, they had to come here. And Gil served as an intermediary between us and God. He heard from God. He told us what God said. And He told us how we are to relate to God. We did that every week. And he was in the Gillian order of priesthood. That was his priesthood. Alright? And then our kids grew up with that order of worship. And then their kids, and their kids, and on and on for a thousand years. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes along and says, hey, we're not doing it that way anymore. That's what was going on. And, and you got to remember, and, and let's say Gil, he had these priestly robes. And every time he got up, he did the priestly robes. And this guy that's on the scene now, he doesn't have robes like that. He's not doing the sacrifices the way we've always done it. He doesn't do the music the way we've always done it. He's doing things differently and, and they're scratching their heads going, wait a minute. Every time we've departed from this in the past, it went bad for us. We want to obey God here. So there was this struggle that was going on. But what happened is they had gotten so entrenched in their minds into a system and they weren't listening and seeing the evidence in the old covenant, in the old Scriptures that God had given them. The ones that had been the same Scriptures that told them how to put that in place was also pointing toward the one they didn't see. And so what he's trying to say is, listen, open up your eyes. The guy who we've been waiting for is here. It's not new. It's, it is a new covenant, but... It's the same system that God was pointing to. All these things were a pattern of what was to come. And so that's what he says in this today. So he's going to give us three, um, three ways that this new covenant is better than the old covenant. And remember, it's a good, better, best kind of thing. It's not that the old covenant was bad. It was just that this one's better. And so the first way... We've, we've just hammered home for the last few weeks is that it has a better priest than they had. And I don't think anybody would argue if you sat and we're able to look back. We have the benefit of looking at all the text and looking at the completed Scripture. They didn't have this. They had, you know, their, their Scriptures went you know, through Second Chronicles, but they had the wisdom books, they had the prophets, they had the Torah and all that stuff. And so... When they looked at that stuff, that, all that stuff was pointing to Jesus, but we have the benefit of all the people that got it. 
all the Jewish people that understood and wrote for us now and point back, especially guys like Paul who were well-versed in the Old Covenant. And so, a better priest. The second thing is a better model of worship. The New Covenant brings a, a better model of worship. And we're gonna, he, he brings that out here. We're going to look at, at how he identifies in the text how it's better. And then the, the third thing he says is a better ministry. It's a better ministry. The new covenant brings better ministry. You know why? Why? Because in the new covenant, it's a covenant that's not a two-party covenant. It's a one-party covenant. See, we don't, we're not really covenant people, are we? I want to help you understand this because this is, I think this is helpful. Let's say, uh, Gil, you're getting married this wedding day. And you're making a covenant. A covenant is an agreement where you agree to do something and the other party agrees to do something. Right? That's what a covenant is. And it's sacred. It's before God. The highest power. So on wedding day, you get up there and your wife's sitting right there. What's her name again? It's Lolita. You go, Lolita, if you cook good, I promise to love you the rest of my, your, my life and your life. Lolita, if you never argue with me, I'm going to love you the rest of your life. Lolita, you know what? You never raise your voice to me, I'm going to love you the rest of your life. And you start laying out those conditions like that, how's she going to feel? What's she going to do? She's sitting over here, she's going to look at you like, are you out of your mind? Right? Because when we get up there on wedding day, we say, I promise to love you even if we don't have money. I promise to love you even if times are tough, even if you're sick. I promise to love you through all these things. Do we do that? No, we blow it, don't we? That was the problem with the old covenant. God laid out in Deuteronomy to Moses, you obey me, I'm going to bless you. You disobey me, I'm going to curse you. This was the plan. The Ten Commandments. Love God with all your heart. Don't have any other gods. Never take His name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. How would they do with those? They didn't do very good. That was the problem. They, they had a two-party covenant and they had a one-party covenant. Because remember the covenant of Abraham was what? Is that one or two parties? We, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Remember the smoking pot? God put Abraham in a deep sleep. It was not a two-party covenant. It was one party where God told Abraham, go get some animals, cut them open, let the blood flow down. They walked the blood path, but God put a deep sleep on Abraham and God in the form of a smoking fire pot went down that blood path and said, if you break the covenant, Abraham, I will take the punishment. And did he? He did in Jesus, right? He did. But it's a one party. You know who else had a one party covenant? It was David. God told David, not based on condition, He told David, you will always have a son on the throne. He didn't give him a condition. 
You will always have a son on the throne, David. That's what he told him. So this better covenant, this new covenant is better because of we have a better priest, we have a better model of worship, and we have a better ministry as a result of this. And we're going to see how that fleshes out here in the text. So open up to Hebrews chapter 8. We're just going to do the first seven verses today. I know I put 1 through 13, but I just decided to focus on this part because I really want us to look at, at these. This is a, it's a fascinating picture uh, in Scripture of the Old Covenant pointing to the New Covenant. And I'm going to share that with you in just a second. So starting in verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Hey, by the way, don't you like it when Scripture does that? It tells you what the point is. You know, guys goes, I can't understand. Man, I read the Bible, I don't understand. It says, the point of what I'm saying is this. Is that any, could it be any clearer than what the point is? No. He's, he's saying right here, this is the point. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. And we know from chapter 7, he offered up himself. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on a better promise. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So what he's saying here in verse 1 is we have a high priest who's seated at the right hand, he says, of the throne of the majesty. And that's in heaven. Do you know where that phrase comes from, by the way? We read it last week and the week before. It's the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 110. Tom, flip open to Psalm 110 real quick. Go, go to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. All right. So look, all right, so you have it? All right, so wait, wait just a second. I'm going to read this again. So we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. All right, now read Psalm 110, 1. Just 110, 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool. So what does it mean to have the Lord sitting at the right hand with the enemies at the footstool of His feet. What does that mean? Dominion over them. Yeah. Dominion for who? Who has dominion? Christ. He's a king. 
He is a king priest. So I go back to what I shared last week and the week before. Why is it that 99% of the time we hear the Gospel shared, they don't talk about His kingship, they just talk about His death on the cross. He's a king. See, we have divorced obedience from salvation. And obedience does not give you salvation, but it better be a result of salvation. And that's what he's saying. He has seated up there in the throne room of God. He's at the right hand. His enemies are underneath his footstool. What's the enemies? Satan, Satan's power, sin's power, all those. And he's saying he's a better priest. These priests on earth, did they ever have any dominion over spirits? Did they ever have any dominion over sin? Did they ever have any dominion over Satan? So which priest is better? Who do you want on your team? Aaron or Jesus? Yeah, see, they were struggling with this. But he's saying he's a better priest. Do you know, listen guys, this is interesting. Psalm 110.1, what Tom read, 11 times in the New Testament. It's the, one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. Who else does that talk about in Psalm 110? 110.4. Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Gil, before SWAT last week, how much study have you heard on Melchizedek? Amos, how many times have you heard him preached on? Never heard his name. Psalm 110 is one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. And it's talking about the Melchizedekian order of priesthood. A king and a priest. A ruler and a sacrificer. I mean, guys, I'm just telling you, this is amazing to me that we don't get this taught to us. And we wonder why people don't want to obey Jesus. We wonder why we struggle with obedience because we've not brought in the fact that He's king and priest. He's a better priest. And by the way, He also makes the distinction, where is Jesus, the, the, the earthly priest, where did they minister? In a, in a tabernacle on earth. Where's Jesus ministering? He's up in heaven, man. Which one's better? Who do you want on your side interceding for you? The guy who's down here having to wash himself, having to do a sacrifice for himself, or the guy up there who's up in the throne room of God? He's a better priest. That's what he's saying. He's telling these people, listen, don't go back to the old system. We've got a better priest than Jesus. Amen. So when he's saying the Lord, no, no, he's saying the Lord said to my Lord. He's saying Adonai said to Messiah, sit at my right hand. Sit at Christ. Yeah. Okay. Adonai the Father says to Jesus, because we know his name, Yeshua, right? We know his name. Adonai says to Yeshua, sit at my right hand while I put your enemies at your footstool. But don't miss the point. He is king. And that was written by a king. It was written by David. Right. David under the inspiration of the Holy he said Spirit. The Lord said to my Lord. Yeah. 
you see it in my right hand. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I go ahead. How important is the element that he's seated? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, you're, you're a good disciple because you're going right there, man. I mean, that's, that's, you get ahead. That's where I'm going is that he's seated because he completed the work. It's finished. It's done. Tetelestai. The, the sacrifice was done. There was no more sacrificing. The only thing he's doing now is he's sitting next to the Father. So Amos, when you blow it, he goes, God, you know, be merciful to Amos. He's a knucklehead. You know, I tried to tell him this morning, you know. And, but you see what I'm saying? We all are knuckleheads. We all keep blowing it in thought, word, or deed. But Jesus is sitting there. His intercession is not finished, but His sacrificial work is. No priest ever sat down in the tabernacle. Ever. But Jesus sat down because He's a better priest. We'll go into the next part, verses 3 through... You started this question with how important is it. I have the same question beginning. How You said we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is king. Yeah. But we do recognize him as Lord and Savior. We recognize him as a priest in his priestly function. Because that's what what was the function of the priest? To minister. Well, we have a, how did the priest minister? What was the role of the high priest every year? He sacrificed, right? That's the role of the high priest to sacrifice so that your sins are covered for the year. So when Jesus sacrificed, he covered your sins eternally. So what I'm saying is when we share the gospel with people, we only focus on that. We don't focus on the fact that he's king and priest because people are afraid of front-loading the gospel. They don't want people to confuse works. I'm just going to tell you, I, I love the Lord. I know there's nothing I can do to make God love me. It's only Jesus. But I want to obey Him. Amen. I want to obey Him, not because my obedience makes Him love me more, but because He's been so good to me and He saved me and I want to obey Him in response. Well, you don't obey Him just because He's a king. You obey Him because He's your king. Well, well yeah. I mean, He's my king. And remember, in the, in the, for the Jewish mind, a king was a king what? Where His will was obeyed. So when the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He said... Say this. Say this like me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth like it is in heaven. That's how he said pray. Where did it start? It started with God being king and his will being done. See, we have this idea that it's just about the sacrifice. And the sacrifice is a part of it. But it's only... It's only part of it. It's kind of like having pancakes without syrup, man. It just, it, it just is it's not complete. And you know what I'm saying? It's really, you, you've got to have them both there. Now, can God use it? Yes. I, I'm not minimizing the fact that God uses even, He used a donkey deal to speak in the Old Testament, but that doesn't mean we take donkeys around and let people hope, hope that donkey's going to talk to somebody. So, He will use the fact that you may have only heard about the saviorhood of Jesus or only this, the priesthood side. But that doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility to go, this is what the text is teaching. 
11, why do you think it's in the New Testament 11 times, that text? And that messianic prophecy. I, I think it's important. Four times it's in this chapter. Four times. I'm sorry, not this chapter, but this, this uh, letter. Four times he sat down at the right hand. We've already covered it once. It's here. It's also in chapter 10. It's also in chapter 12. Four times this writer saying, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, referencing back to Psalm 110. Because he's wanting people to know here that Christ is a Melchizedekian order of priest. Only two in history. Jesus and Melchizedek. The Messiah was prophesied and Jesus fulfilled that. And so, he's a better priest. But he's not just a better priest. There's also the new covenant brings, it's a better model of worship. And, he, and he's pointing out in text uh, verses 3-5 through five, that all this stuff over here in the old system of worship was like a big pointer pointing toward Jesus in the new covenant. Let's read it. Verse th- uh, really, going in 3, he says, Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts. Verse 4, he says, If Jesus were on earth, or if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Remember, we covered that last week. If he was a priest according to the law, where did he have to come from? Levi. Levi. And he wasn't that kind of priest. He's saying he's not that kind of priest. And then he tells, here's the significance of what he's saying in these three verses. They serve, talking about these old priest in the old system, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So here's the thing, right? If you look at this, copy, shadow, pattern. When you think about a copy, The word there literally means to show underneath. But a copy has to have what? An original. A shadow, the the word shadow there is like a picture that corresponds to reality, like a silhouette. So to have a shadow, you have to have what? Yeah, you have to have, you can use the same word, an original, right? A shadow is produced by something that's original or real. Is the shadow real? No, it's just a, it's just a it's kind of like a silhouette of it, all right? Pattern, the word pattern means to strike. And, and it has this idea of, if you've ever had kids, you were building something and you wanted your kids to put their fingers or their hands in something to leave an imprint, it's got this impression of when your kid puts their hand down in cement, if you're building a house or something and you want to remember it, you take it up. Years later, you see their handprint down there. That was an imprint. It was to strike, to make an impression. Okay? So all those things say that this old system was merely a copy. It was a, a silhouette. It was an imprint of what was supposed to be. So why would you focus on those things and not the reality? That would be ridiculous, right? If I had a a silhouette or my shadow was up here, 
Would you talk to my shadow or me? You're going to talk to me because I'm the one who's real. That's just my silhouette. It's a shadow of me, right? So, I want you to take you back to the old system for a second. The way he talks about the pattern, he makes a very specific reference to what Moses was taught to do up on the mountain. So Moses was taught to build a tabernacle. He said, okay, I want you to build this wall around where I'm going to be with you, and it's a linen wall. What does a wall do? Stands. What? Stands. Well, but, well yeah, it divides. Separate. It separates. It was a linen wall. You know what linen represented? Cleanliness. So you've got a wall of cleanliness between sinful man and a holy God. Then there was a gate. There was a gate you had to pass through. You couldn't just go. It wasn't open to everybody. You had to go through a gate. There was a way in there. There was a way. And usually, only one person went through this particular gate. Okay? At this time. And who was that person? It was a priest. Right? And so, then there was an altar and a sacrifice. And the altar and the sacrifice was a way of blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So you've got this altar, there's a sacrifice, and then after that sacrifice, and by the way, when I was there with uh, Ray Vanderlaan back in September, we went into, there's only two replica uh, tabernacles in Israel today. And we went into one of them. And it's exactly like I'm describing it here. You walk in through the gate, and there's an altar right there where you do the sacrifice, and then you go to a big basin. It's called a sea, S-C-A, like a sea. And there's water in there. And that's the way of washing. And what does that do? It cleanses you. It's the way of cleanliness, right? So you have to be cleansed, and you go through, and then you go in, and you see this table over here, and it's got bread on it. It's called the show bread. And that bread represents the way of provision. Because God has to provide for you a way to connect with Him. All this stuff is symbolic as you're going in there. And then you have a candelabra. You've got seven candles on this thing. And it's light. And it's illuminating. And it illuminates the truth. That's the symbolism of it. Okay, And then you go from that into the Holy of Holies. Where the way and the truth bring us into God's presence. And the priest would go in there with the blood. And you know what was in the Holy of Holies? was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark was what? The, the, the two tablets. And do you know what's on the two tablets? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, one on each side. Because the way the treaties were done is there were two copies of the, the law or the covenant, whatever it was. See, everybody always thought, well, half were on this side and half were on this side. No, it was Ten Commandments written on one side, Ten Commandments written on the other. And they're in the ark. And what else was in the ark? Aaron's staff. Staff was leadership. And then the manna. And the manna was in there. And so the priest would come in there and throw the blood on the mercy seat over those to where that blood covered the broken law, the broken covenant, the rejected provision, 
and the rejected leadership. That's why those things were in there. And so, now here, here's what's really cool, Dave. I want you to think back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God, the altar and the sacrifice, the way of blood. John chapter 3. Baptism. Jesus being baptized. The way of cleanliness. The way, it's, it's the way of cleanliness. Okay, the washing. John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. John chapter 8 and chapter 9. I'm the light of the world. I open your eyes. I illuminate it. John chapter 14. He just spells it out. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John chapter 19. He's crucified, sprinkling the blood over the broken covenant. John knew what he was doing when he was writing his letter. Isn't that fascinating when you think about that? So it's a better model of worship because it's, it's Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's His life. You don't have to go through that process every day. You're just you're focused on Jesus. And then the last thing is, it's a better ministry. See, the old covenant was what's called a suzerain covenant. And the, the Hittite Empire and all those uh, Middle Eastern empires, and I, I wrote down what the definition was. It says a suzerain treaty is a political covenant between people of unequal rank. So what does that tell us about our position with God? You ain't on His level. When, when, when there was a suzerain covenant made, it was unequal rank. The Hittite treaty contained six elements. And guys, we can see these six elements in Deuteronomy. The first one is a preamble. Usually the, the Hittite king, whoever it was, would say, I am, and he'd say his name, and I'm above everyone. And you will worship nobody but me. Does that sound familiar? I am the Lord your God, and you will be my people. How many times does he say that in the Old Testament? I am the Lord your God. I delivered you out of Egypt. You will be my people. Over and over he says that. Okay? But the suzerain covenant was a two-way covenant. And it was like this. You do this, and then you'll be blessed. But a one-way covenant was different, and that's what God did with us. He says... Be blessed and then do this. Be blessed and do this. That's the new covenant. Now, as I was studying for this, and next week we're going to get into the covenants. We're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to look at the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and even the new covenant. From Je He mentions in next week's passage, Jeremiah 31, which has really laid out the new covenant. But I want you to think about this. The Mosaic Covenant was never intended to redeem the people. So when you hear the law in the New Testament, that's referring to the Mosaic Covenant. That was simply meant to restrain the people. It was never meant to deliver them. It was meant to show need. Paul says, I wouldn't know what sin was without the law. I didn't really understand the covenants, to be honest with you. I didn't understand that the Mosaic Covenant was never meant for people to be righteous. It was, 
in a big sense, but it was never meant to make them righteous. It was meant to reveal what righteousness looked like. So God's people every year would blow it and they would have to go in and offer sacrifices. And who did they depend on for mercy? God. It wasn't their works. It was His mercy. Every year they had to bring a lamb. There was a cost involved. And so Paul explains it this way in 2 Corinthians 3. And this is what I'm going to close with. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6. Paul's talking about this whole mosaic system and he says not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us but our sufficiency is from God Amen. that is the point our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills. And what we're going to see next week is, he says, listen, I'm going to put it on your inside. It's not going to be about the external anymore. It's about the internal. I'm going to put my Spirit in you, and you are going to be my people and show people what it looks like to have God on the inside of you. They couldn't say that in the Old Testament except at certain specified periods. And so this new covenant gives us a better ministry. Isn't that neat? And that's what he's saying. It's a better priest. We have a better model of worship and a better ministry now because of this new covenant. Do we struggle with self-sufficiency? I think it's one of the greatest struggles we have in this country, in the church. So what, he, what is he saying to us today? When we walk out the door today, I think what the text is saying to us is, listen guys, we have a better priest than we can be. We have a better model of worship than we think we can come up with. We need to come here to see how God wants us to interact with Him. And what He says we ought to be doing and if we're not, we ought to be repenting, saying, God, help me because I can't do it, but I need you to help me. And we have a better ministry because when people blow it around us, and they do, I was on the phone with a guy a while ago, and he said, man, some guy did him wrong on something. He said, I'm just trying to love him like Jesus. I said, that's what the Spirit wants you to do. It's never easy. It cost Jesus everything. See, we want a Christianity without cost. And there's a growing epidemic in our country of young millennials growing up who believe that because Jesus every, did everything, I have to do nothing. And that's not true. There's people that say it's about a relationship, not rules or regulations. That's not true either. There are rules and regulations. But the rules and regulations don't make you acceptable to God but you do the rules and regulations because God has made you acceptable. Does that make sense? Yeah. And guys, we have got to help teach young people and men this concept that yes, you'll never be perfect, but that doesn't mean that you're okay with that. <laughs> you let God drive you to His Word and you become repentant and come back to the cross and you say, forgive me, Lord. And you become more humble, more open to His Spirit leading you instead of you trying to gut through and do it yourself. That's what He wants.
So, Father, thank you for the reminder. Thank you for this time. And and I just pray, Lord, that um, today as we leave, we would be spirit-empowered men under the new covenant, Lord, of your Son being our sacrifice, being our high priest, being our king, being our everything. I pray for every man in here, Lord, that is flawed as we are and as easily distracted as we are, that, Lord, you would, you would just hold us in your hands and keep us close. Let us be sufficiently dependent on you, Lord, which means we just trust you and we not trust ourselves. Thank you. We love you, Father. And uh, we just uh, continue to lift up our brothers who are not here and pr- traveling. Pray for them. Pray for those who we haven't seen in a while. And uh, give us an opportunity to reach out to them this week and let us make sure they're good. So we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.